Welcome to Story Conversations. Uh, I am Simon Arrowsmith, and with me, as always, is... Susan Griffin. Hi, Susan. How you doing? I'm good, Simon. How are you? Yeah, great. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Um, We have with us the fantastic Kate Feeney. Kate is... Well, she's a number of things. Um, She's a principal consultant uh, at LinkedIn in their People Science Division, and she's also... and it's and it's called Glint. Their Glint. science division right. is called Glint. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Okay, sorry about that. No, no, no. That's great. And and she's also an improviser and stand-up comedian. So we wanted to talk to her about how does this how does this all fit together? Um, you know, the stories that you'll hear and the way stories overlink. It's a fascinating conversation. So let's get into it, shall we? Absolutely. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we like to start our podcasts and our conversations by asking our guests to share your your backstory, your origin story, how you got to where you are today. Um, and and uh, when we looked you up on LinkedIn as one does, we, we saw this amazing through line where you've blended, you know, the study of, uh, the, the, the study of human development, comedy, um, your title, you're, you're part of the people science team at LinkedIn. Um, but tell us, tell us how it all started. You know, you studied at Trinity College, and you you've always seemed to have a, a fascination for how people function. Um, but h- how did how did you get here? <laughs> Such a good question. It's funny. I have a memory of the night before in Ireland, at least, I'm not sure it's the same in the UK and in the States, there's this decision point where you have to submit what you'd like to apply for in college or university. And I had submitted to study, an application to study business, economics and social studies. And I sat there staring at a screen going, should I change this to drama? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I... I still, I'll never perhaps know, and I've worked through in therapy, am I constitutionally conservative or was I raised in a very uh, constitutionally conservative environment? Um, But I said to my parents, what do you think? Do you know what? I I do, I would do Trinity. I do, I would be very keen that you do Trinity. Um, So I I did that. Um, And I was always then a little bit torn between, you know, am I this business person or do I have a more creative bent? And I think over time, what I luckily got towards was this blend. And mm. the the blend, I think, is you know bringing the most creative part of business into my career, which is how people think, feel, and behave. And that's, I suppose, been where I've yeah found some um, purpose and peace is in exploring the parts of business that are people orientated um, and creativity and change and growth orientated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, full disclosure, Kate and I go back 
uh, at least a decade. I mean, he didn't um, have to refer to your LinkedIn profile. In fact, it took him a little while to get me the URL to, so I could, but that's okay. Uh, so, yeah, we, one of your early, after Deloitte, one of your early, a couple of your early roles was um, in people development, you know, designing learning experiences. We've had many a late night over a PowerPoint, yes. <laughs> stressing it out in hotel bars, <laughs> stressing. Yes. Um, what, I mean, you know, there's there's this sort of, you know, I guess what drew you to those roles, people development in particular, and then maybe thinking about what what role do you do you think story plays in people development? Yeah, I'll tell you just a, another brief story to explain how I ended up at Just Add Water after Deloitte. So I started Deloitte in 2008 uh, in Human Capital. And that's, a lovely, put, that's a lovely name, isn't it? Human isn't it? Capital. It's, yeah, so warm <laughs> and embracing and personal. But I yeah, had, I suppose, kind of followed this thread through Trinity of looking at the people side of business. And the recession hit in 2008 and we were offered very generously by Deloitte if we'd like to go paid on leave. So I took that opportunity and went to South America and read a book in a hostel that someone gave me um, where there was a role called... Um, the, the book was called Yes Man and Danny Wallace wrote oh, it and yeah. he was, yeah, he was working in, um, he was a development executive and I, I was like, oh my God, de- development executive, I've never heard of this, but that was about developing stories for, you know, whether it's TV shows mm. or film and very naively I thought, well, there it is. I've been looking all this while for something creative and I'll go do that. So I got an internship in LA um, in story development with Mr. Mudd, who'd made uh, Juno and um, mm. Jeffy Lives at Home and all these movies. But I worked there for three months. And while I was there, I actually realized, you know what? I do love this, apart from the slightly toxic culture. Um, <laughs> and, um, but I was working in a restaurant at the same time. And I was like, weirdly, as much as I love the content of what they do at Mr. Mudd, the environment, the people I'm around, the experience of working in this restaurant around incredibly kind generous people is making me happier Mm. so I realized that's actually still a passion of mine it wasn't just something I fell into I genuinely am really interested in how do you create the conditions for people to be happy connected engaged Mm. at work so anyway then I looked up um, places that did that in London where I, I could you know move and uh, and found Jeremy at Just Ed Water who I'll always be grateful for because he he agreed to meet me for a coffee in LA mm. at random um, while he was over working on some work with Pixar and yeah he offered me a job out of nowhere uh, he was like yeah sure come over um, <laughs> yeah, so sounds, anyway. that sounds about right Susan has met Jeremy and obviously Jeremy's been a guest on the show so oh yes. brilliant yeah. yes yeah, we did a great great session with him back in season one yeah um, oh, fantastic sorry you were saying yeah. you were saying yeah so it just I suppose that's the this the kind of origin of how I found myself in Just Out Water and what I loved about that work was that we were taking elements of psychology which I was always really passionate about and bringing them to life in an entertaining embracing mm-hmm. fashion and they're just the way that just Ed water talked about people development was so playful and real yeah. and um yeah it was closer to a consumer or you know um entertainment lens and uh, then i yeah it's human basically <laughs> exactly yeah so i think that was 
definitely one of the things that, that drew me in. Um, and it, I don't know, I guess the other path I could have gone down was, uh, you know, I was maybe advertising, but it felt like there was something that was going to be eternally, la- there, there's a, a never ending nature to personal development. Mm. You know, you're constantly <laughs> updating yourself and it's personal to you as someone who's hopefully leading other people through it um, I, and that always appealed to me too that like I want to constantly be challenged and look back and go okay last year me is a bit of a gobshite I, <laughs> I've st- taken one step forward um, so anyway, that's yeah that's where the kind of passion for people development came from just a personal desire to be less mm-hmm. ignorant um, and <laughs> and that's an ever uh, evergreen challenge but um yeah, I, I think it was it's just an, a really interesting challenge. How do we mm. improve um, as people? It's so true, isn't I, it, about constantly developing and you know, you, you, you go backwards as much as you go forwards and it's yeah. a real roller coaster. Sorry, Susan, you're gonna say something. Well, I'm just I'm just struck by the fact that the work that you've done um, leading up to and you'll have to tell mm. us about the origin of the name Glint as this department mm. you work in yeah. or this group you work in but I'm struck by this work as being so transformational the work in that Just Edwater has done and the you know the idea that we want to understand and change the way people think feel and behave it you know it it can be so transformational for companies um once they realize that story is not frivolous Mm -hmm. you know story is literally how we get to that point but um you know we 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 think about people responding better to each other once they understand the communication made possible by story but in your work at glint love the name um how are you how are you achieving that sort of organizational impact through employee engagement and people science so what we do at glint in the people science team is we are sort of custodians of a listening process the idea being that leaders and their organizations often don't fully understand and relate with each other. So the technology effectively facilitates that. And our role is to translate um, the conversation. So we have a, a taxonomy of items that are fully um, robustly validated that speak to what really matters to people. So we talk about these people success elements, six domains effectively that we know make up an engaged employee or could be the reason why someone's really struggling to feel engaged things like belonging connection how clear they are on their role their sense of well-being um so we have questions that get asked to our client um base and then my role really a large chunk of it is translating those results in a conversation with leaders so Let's say you have an organization, 10,000 people, the response comes back that, you know, our key outcome measure is how happy are you working? Let's call it at ACME. How happy are you working at ACME? And if 
the results are low, we'll be able to, to diagnose why is that? And it could be down to a lack of care, a poor manager relationship um, and so forth. So we're really trying to, I guess, again, sort of through a Trojan horse, bring in very human conversations using yeah. data, which I think the higher up the hierarchy you go the more of a comfort and expectation there is that we're talking about facts here not feelings mm. but actually underneath the the facts there is a reflection of how people feel in their own individual worlds about that organization what is the culture how am i treated uh, you know how effective are we at connecting with each other if we're working in a hybrid world which is one of the big challenges at the moment so, um, yeah, so basically the role is telling sort of speaking truth to power in effect, you know, being kind of the magnifier of the employee's voice who may never get the chance to say, do you know what, this really works or this really doesn't work for us in this organization. Wow. I love the fact that, um, you know, it truly is science, you, uh, that just the terms you used, custodian of the listening process, you know, it's a process. It's not, it's not, it's not amorphous yeah. i love that you ta- use the term taxonomy Taxonomy, yeah. <laughs> oh my god Be- because when once you take those scientific terms and you do what insights are supposed to do which is you know be able to get to questions like how happy you are yeah and it's not just you know you pulled it out of your ears you've got you truly have science wow amazing yeah. and how needed that- at this point yeah, absolutely. I, I think partic- it's kind of, I think about it as like a hard shell for a soft topic or what can be perceived mm-hmm. as a soft topic. But if you can bring, you know, validated items, things that we know have a correlation with engagement. And, and if we know we can correlate engagement with retention and business performance and all these things, then you're building a case for a conversation about, you know, people's human lived experiences but you're using things like the validation of the items and benchmarks to say you know this is yeah this is scientifically valid as a process what you're doing and um i think that particularly for you know more traditional organizations really does matter they need to feel like this is a a credible conversation um and then over time they become you know bought in regard you know they they become their own best benchmark and they start to move to a more conversational perspective on the the process versus just looking at the data. But that's often sort of a a journey that happens over a number of years. How how do your clients engage with you? What is, what is the mechanism for your clients finding you? Because Lord knows in this era of, you know, all the nonsense and craziness from the pandemic and hybrid working and, and remote working companies need this how do they find you yeah um that's a good question i must shout to my sales <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah a lot of so a lot of our clients would be um you know clients who've come through either linkedin or they've they've we do only work with sort of a certain level of uh, right. employee number and so oh, forth okay. so um it, it's absolutely a very needed experience to have this process and there's lots of other tools out there glint is one of them um but yeah um i think 
often people come to Glint because they're looking for something a little bit more agile. So if they've come from a, a very traditional listening process, and I'm sure, Shay, uh, Simon, you have experienced this at stages in your career, you know, where there's very complex action plans and mm. 80 items engagement. Like we talk about quarterly conversations <laughs> and Glint is very particular point of view that is very human centric people success is something that we um espouse versus you know human capital that kind of terminology from a more traditional old world that has been updated mm. i'm sure as well at deloitte but um yeah the the clients I think are drawn to that point of view and they're drawn to the, the technology and the agility of it it's interesting you you know the the term of success because it's something that susan and i hear a, a lot when it comes to um, client success, it's interesting that this term we want we want employees to succeed, we want customers to to be successful. I find that interesting that that language is being used now. Um, just just to take you back, you know, to Glint and and um, I know you worked at Mind Gym and obviously Just a Water. What were the what were the sort of story elements that you? have deployed and I, I mean I, I know it just have water story was sort of the heart of everything um did you take any of that into your work at after just have water yeah definitely I've I've definitely leaned on um that great quote we used to have in almost every presentation you know uh, a fact is the king died and the queen died a story is the king died by the sword the queen died with a broken heart yeah in reverse maybe yeah. um but, no, I, think yeah. I think that's right i think that's the right way yeah <laughs> i think um the the kind of idea that the story is context enriched by emotion is something that definitely i brought into mind gym and that's their philosophy too we talk about how you want to pe want people to think feel and do things differently um with a big emphasis on the feel so mm. my role at mind gym was in the solutions team and we did you know very similar things to what we did just add water but you're solving for a particular client challenge and trying to create experiences that will shift that and i think we know that the the emotional shift is often the biggest challenge with behavior change so what we know that story is particularly effective at accessing our emotions versus getting you know facts get sort of stuck at a cognitive mm. level whereas emotions get through those defenses um and so story is probably the best way of doing that so we our sessions would always have a blend of here's the science here's the credible fact here's the mm. the psychology of you know i designed a session for example on sharing bad news for um people actually in a banking setting but we leveraged content from the world of um doctors and when they've had to share bad news and the research on that and told those stories and mm. drew that correlation because that's more engaging than talking yeah. about you know sharing bad news with a client in um <laughs> you know, in your own setting so sometimes it yeah. is just in embracing um story as a way to harness attention as well you know to make something just a little bit more fun to to experience and playful to experience yeah i guess speaking of fun I know that there's a big part of your working life that it's, I've I've always been kind of in awe of this. Um, I know that we've we you you actually really introduced me to um, the skills of improv. You sort of pointed me in the right direction of Hoopla, for example, in London, yeah. and then to UCB in um, the states. That was really amazing. Um, but you kind of took it like properly, 
and not only did improv but you perform as a stand-up um how how did that start (laughs) (laughs) oh um well the improv has always been there really like when I was working in Deloitte I used to sneak off after work and go up to a pub in Dublin and meet up with strangers and play all these improv games and I was like finally this is you know this is amazing this I loved that stuff as a kid I was really into drama and I was so excited to rediscover it um and then yeah I studied in LA in Second City or yeah in Second City and then in Hoopla in London um but yeah, so that's where I started. And then I did my first gig for stand-up in London in the Laughing Horse competition. Bizarrely, I thought it was appropriate to start off in a competition, having never performed before. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I didn't know how else you got a gig. So I was like, well, I guess I can enter the competition. Um, and that was pretty pretty awful. But um, yeah. But um, yeah, that's where I started. And then I didn't do it for years because it's such a confidence thing. Like I for years was like oh I don't have anything to say I, I was too embarrassed I thought people would think I was really full of myself or um just you know I was having a midlife crisis if I started doing stand- I had so many reasons to not do it but then I just got the yeah got the nudge again when I was in Dublin actually there was a few people Alison Spittle who's a, a Irish comedian she set up um, a women who want to do comedy Facebook mm. group um, and I saw that and she hosted just a chat and I went along to that and just spent, you know, more time on the fence, but like a little bit closer to, mm. you know, the stage. Um, and I realized so much of, you know, getting up on stage is just getting out of your own way because now I, I, like I can't, I can't even imagine, I can't quite even remember why I had so many blocks, but there were so many and things like that like visibility of people like you like seeing other women there and then there was a a night also kind of specifically for women called open michelle um (laughs) great little play on open mic um but that sort of support it was great but yeah that environment i think was incredible and yeah just tying it into the the learning and development space like i think things like resource groups you know like those initiatives that actually do change a culture are fascinating like I I'd say so many more women in Dublin do stand up because of a couple of those small initiatives Mm. than or you know the funny women organization in the UK is incredible and again entering the competitions there getting a little bit of traction seeing other people going oh there's lots of people like me um hearing similar voices was really impactful so um anyway that's kind of how I got started was just seeing more and more people who I could relate to and then mm. getting a little bit more confidence so important yeah yeah and um that you know you talked about doing workshops in relating bad news um but in in uh, in storytelling within the the sort of corporate side, is there a is there a funny component to that? I mean, um, in, in the in the way that you bring storytelling into into the your work at Glint, um, you, you know, comedians are telling stories, right? Um, yeah. But is it what's the how is how is is there a difference it is how do you bring funny into um 
human capital development, other than the fact that we laugh at what the name is. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my current role, I, w- I would say it's parsed out. You know, like I don't, I've kind of come to terms with the fact that authenticity doesn't mean being the same all the time. Mm. It can mean, mm. you know, different parts of you. Like, And I think giving them all space to breathe is important. But um, if I'm giving an executive presentation, I, I don't yet feel that I've found a way to inject humor into that, you know, a results digest. Um, but there's lots of other areas within work. You know, we have a, a component of our role, which is enabling people on how to talk about engagement and how to understand results and and that can be quite a playful thing any kind of learning environment can be quite playful and um that's probably the the place it comes out um and then of course the team itself the team is a fantastic group of really brilliant interesting fun people and yeah i think it's kind of in the relationships within the team as much as it is um so it isn't so so much telling funny stories but being playful about you know, these, these learnings that you're presenting, these results that you're presenting to maybe break down some of the defenses of the management teams who aren't necessarily helping employees, you know, feel good about uh, working at Acme or any other company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd say, you know, story is definitely powerful for the results piece but probably not so much the humor side because often you are sharing challenging results you know and it's feedback and I think there's a time when it's appropriate to use humor in this time when it's not and if any of us were getting quite you know challenging feedback we prefer to be said sincerely I Mm. think but the the story element of my experience definitely plays out in those conversations with executives about results because you're Mm. you're trying to paint a picture for them that makes the the data feel real and relatable and um, so you know using common data our um, platform allows for respondents to not just sort of say okay i'm giving this a a two on purpose but they'll share what they think and feel in the comments and and that's a really i mean sometimes there is humor within those comments but it's um <laughs> yeah I enjoy that. That's the part of the job, <laughs> reading through people's um, submissions. But yeah, that's probably where the, the story comes through. It, in terms of um, just taking you to your, your comedy performance, there's, there's always something that, that sort of fascinated me about. And maybe, I don't know, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a kind of more of a myth than, than a reality, but, you know, comedians seem to be able to hold their own in a space really, really well. Uh, as well as holding an audience and keep the routine, if that's the right word for it, you know, on track. And then they seem to be able to respond really, really well to things like hecklers. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's accepted part of the comedy world or or is it an exception? But, you know, one of the things that we know when I'm talking to clients about um, when they're presenting, for example, or they're sharing information, that's the thing that they kind of talk about the most, that their nervousness their their fear of speaking is often about being derailed or being taken off piste by someone else in the room who wants to you know take the story in their own direction um have you got any examples of you know having to handle audiences or what's your thoughts on 
on why comedians seem to be so successful at hecklers? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's there's some people who are really good at meeting the energy of the heckler and sort of dominating over them so that (laughs) they you know like there's that kind of I think you either put someone back in their box or you flow around them Mm. I'm probably more in the flow around them um camp because it's just not something that I feel is part of my style to snap back at someone I maybe Mm. I don't have the wish for it but it's um yeah it's not how I deal it but I think it's from an improviser's perspective, I find I, I don't really mind if there's, to be honest, there isn't as much heckling as I think people think there is as mm-hmm. well. Like generally people want you to succeed because it's so uncomfortable to see someone <laughs> yeah, struggle as well, isn't it? true, yeah. So most people aren't disruptive unless they're really drunk. Um, and in which case, you know, you could, there's, I'm not trying to think like what are the actual tactics that you deploy, but, you know, sometimes you might just give them a moment's focus and and say something to acknowledge what they've said and then move on mm. um but yeah i think an element of like if thinking about what you said about your clients like trusting yourself i think to be flexible is the main thing to trust that you've got maybe three or four key things that you want to say and you can always find your way back there i think that's the fear is that you know you won't find your way back but i think you will you know you yeah. inevitably will yeah so is it and in terms of a comedy routine if that's again if that's the right word yeah. do you do you structure it so that you have that flexibility built into into the story if if it was a you know a, a long a longer joke do you have the space to move away and then come back is that what you do yeah i'm not overly structured like i do obviously have my set and um set that's it not routine (laughs) (laughs) no routines well but um i yeah i'm trying to think i don't think i've ever been wildly i would you i you do kind of whether it's navigating around them or you're blocking them Mm. you do want to shut down the audience to a larger uh or lesser degree because you do want to get on with things but the one thing you want to navigate against is um if you it's so interesting like the it's like a gladiatorial kind of environment if you're (laughs) mean if you come across as horrible and unempathetic to someone you know even if they are being rude loud drunk and whatever but if you treat them poorly the audience will go oh okay so now we're on their team because there's this power disparity where you have a mic and you're supposed to be in charge and i think that plays out this is um yeah, the, I, I've never really thought about this, but I, I definitely, I try not to anger the mob. Like, you know, you want to keep them on side <laughs> yeah. because, yeah, that's the main I, thing. Yeah. Ah. I, 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 you know, I know we're talking about your stand up career, but when you talk about these terms like not angering the mob, I can't help but see you in the business side of the, what you do because, you know, it's certainly in terms of, a company who's struggling to make sure that their their employees are engaged and happy, there's going to be times where you're going to raise issues that are they don't want to hear, you know, yeah. because they, they think they've been doing it right. And, you know, actually, maybe they haven't been. So um, <laughs> I just think about the, the times that I've been involved in sessions where business people were being told, 
things they didn't want to hear about their yeah. customers or about their ability to achieve customer satisfaction or or employee engagement. And yeah, I I've I've seen a few corporate hecklers in my day. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh so, yeah. So so all of this, I mean, I know that on some level the idea that you're doing stand up and you're doing this incredible um development of understanding and and working with how people uh, really uh, think, feel, and behave. That may seem separate, but I don't know. how. I'm seeing these as being complementary skill sets that you, you know, you may not have a set when you're delivering results. Um, And we may not have gotten the taxonomy, taxonomy of comedy Right set, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But um, how 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 have you seen this these two complementary kind of superpowers coming together? Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. There are correlations, and it's you know it's actually interesting and helpful to reflect on those because sometimes they can feel like separate worlds, and um, that's that sort of switching can be challenging at times but you're right like the um the core of both is that you are managing the emotions of a group of people like with stand-up you want to bring people from surprise to delight to you know feeling connected and all these things maybe you want to challenge them too you want to say something that you really want to say but you want to say it in a way that it lands and that's very similar with you know an executive team who you're saying actually you've got a challenge around non-discrimination in this organization that's a really hard message for leaders to hear that you're not creating a safe respectful culture um, and actually you know you have an influence on that as a leader that's really hard to hear so you are very conscious of your language at all times and mm-hmm. I think um, I think I suppose you're trying to empathize with them as well. Like I feel like audiences as well. Like I don't, I don't like to make them feel uncomfortable or, um, you know, I'm not there to uh, like pick on anybody. And, and similarly with the executive presentations, it's, it's not my role to pinpoint, even though perhaps there is a particular individual whose organization is really standing out. It's not a safe environment to, note that in front of all of Mm. their colleagues on the executive board so yeah i suppose the the commonalities are that you're trying to express some truth um in a compassionate way and in a way that engages people in the conversation um well actually in the stand-up you don't want them to engage too much engaging with laughter um, (laughs) is what you want yeah right immediate and short feedback yeah (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah, and and that you know to get those, to get that um, managing emotion, to get them from surprise to delight, to recognize the challenge and see that if they take it on, it can be transformational. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I guess on some level, you know, a night of comedy can be transformational as well, particularly if it is meaningful comedy. And like you said, you are getting a message across through stealth almost. You're 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 educating as well as entertaining mm. um kate thank you so much for for spending time we've got one more question which is the question we always like to finish these 
sessions on which is to ask you what your favorite story is and it can be you know it can be a personal story it can be a story that's popular it can be a metaphor whatever you like so would you share with us your your favorite story Ooh. or one of your favorite stories we won't hold you to it this is hard um oh why am i drawing an absolute blank after talking about story for so long <laughs> <laughs> it's okay we can edit the gap <laughs> yeah please do hope it's uh let me let me think Is there a story you tell in your comedy routine? Uh, I suppose, yeah, I, I tell some, I guess, personal stories. Um, but, yeah, I guess the one that ties maybe, it, I don't, the one that jumped into my mind is actually the Victor Frankl story. Yeah, you know, his man's search for meaning, the, the process of going through what he went through um and emerging out into the world with something to share i think that's like that's a story that's sort of universal aspirationally um universal maybe mm. but um yeah i think his personal story i love stories that are real i much prefer um non-fiction to fiction yeah so uh, any kind of autobiographical story is probably what i'm most likely to be drawn to yeah all oh, right yeah no, that, that the victor frankl story so he was a prisoner of war in a concentration exactly. camp right yeah, yeah yeah and he had uh he was already qualified um as a, a psychotherapist uh, or rather a psychiatrist um and he really studied the differences between the people who struggled and the people who made it through mm. within the concentration camp um and developed thereafter once he he got out um moved to the u.s he developed something called logotherapy which was all about um finding meaning as a way of healing and yeah his i suppose his story was sort of lived proof of that because he mm. had a focus he had a meaning for himself um and that's how he, he was, survived right and that's how he survived yeah yeah, yeah. fantastic Thank you so much, uh, Kate, for being with us. Um, My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope, had, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like having a coaching conversation. You're giving me loads of food for thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've given us loads of food for thought as well. So, And taught us that we need to have a taxonomy for comedy before we yeah. venture into these kinds of conversations again. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Kate. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we have too much fun. I'm just going to say yeah, right now. Always, always. Kate was great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's let's think about what she said and what we can unpack. I mean, there, there was there are so many nuggets in there. Um, I think the, the thing that sticks out to me to begin with is this idea about <clears throat> language and the language we choose matters. You know, we talked about people science versus human capital management and all this. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. How did we ever get that term? I know. And, and we, we know this with our customers, with our clients, with uh, the people that we work with. Um, yes. Brands and companies need to be careful about the way they name things, the way they, they feed into the narrative, and language is such a big part of that. You know? Right, right. And, and in, in season one, um, Dave McCoggan who's literally um uh, you know vigilant about these things mm. says stop referring to consumers and customers these are humans mm. 
you're dealing with humans and 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 that little tiny bit of language choice can make all the difference um yeah it's it's yeah. an interesting one i mean you know particularly my time in house that i saw a real change from employees to people being referred to as employees to people being referred to as people <laughs> or colleagues right right and, and that that just that phrase implies partnership versus some sort of subservience hmm. um so yeah that was a great takeaway um what i loved that was that stuck out to me was when she talked about hard a hard shell for soft skills and and hmm. when we talk about people science and when we talk about companies trying to understand how to make their workplaces more engaging Kate was describing what is science she used terms like custodians of the process Mm. validating items that correlate with employee engagement that leads to retention that leads to better business performance she used terms like benchmarks now these are all the terms that we associate with data yeah. Right. And what it, certainly in my practice, I see a lot is uh, companies that's, that, that want evidence backed decision support. They're really scared of stuff that feels soft and, and squishy. And, and Kate was talking about concrete metrics hmm. that could be seen as facts, right? Yeah. But what I then loved was when she talked about the difference between a fact and a story. Yeah. I yeah. guess it's all about the way you connect and communicate it. You know, you, you want the facts. You have to, it has to be grounded in reality. But the way you're sharing that, the way you're going to connect that to another human right. being is not, it's probably not going to be in a very factual, direct. Sorry, that's the wrong thing to say because it can still be direct, but it's couched it, in that language that helps people understand it's human it. well yeah. i mean what we need to know is okay so these these senior level business execs are trying to achieve better business performance hmm. right and they want hard data to support whatever they're going to do but at the end of the day they're humans too yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah. right so that that idea of perhaps you know be she used the term playful and it particularly when it's bad news playful is tough but it's 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 just more human and you know creating a context in which a senior level exec executive who happens to be a human (laughs) at the moment we haven't yeah at the moment we haven't we haven't done away with that yet or at least not at least not at you know, nine o'clock <laughs> on a Friday morning. Um, you know, the, the, the notion of giving confidence through data that's been validated, that has benchmarks, that has metrics, but delivering that in a very human context so that the senior level executives can absorb it as humans. Yeah. I, I think that... 
yeah, enriched was, by emotion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was wonderful. Story yeah. is context enriched by emotion, and emotion is the key driver of behavioral change. I mean, yeah, duh. I guess that the final one has to do with the delivery of the message as well. I think the final p- point that I, I I think we should be drawing out, which is this idea of improv versus stand up. You know, when you're sharing your message, it probably feels like sometimes we are in in stand up mode. You're on a stage, or you're on you're broadcasting. Um, I think that's it's good. It's good to hold on to that. It's good to hold on to the skills of a stand up. But I think the core skills of a really good stand up are also based in improv and based on impro- right. improvisation. You know, they are responsive to their audience, not reactive. That's something I talk to clients I've, about all I've, the time. I've heard you say yeah, that. It's, you know, how do you respond to what's around you, what's in front of you, what's what's happening, not react to it in a, you know, immediate, thoughtless way. Right. Um, I mean, the, the, the quintessential improv, yes, and, yeah. it, it, you know, I, I, I can imagine our own clients embracing that so when they're in a pitch or or a credentials presentation and and somebody in the audience says yeah but what about this Hmm. there's a there's a response rather than a reaction yeah how can you do what a stand-up does which is hold the room get the room back on your side not and kate talked about hecklers and (laughs) yeah well yeah (laughs) It's, it's the same thing. A lot of people who are going into that pitching or presenting situation, the anxiety they feel is about what happens when someone steers me off my course. My advice to them is always that your course needs to be flexible. You know, if you're <laughs> if you're if you're holding to a script that's so rigid that you can't move off it, then you're probably not going to last very right. long. Particularly, in a, particularly in a room that's intimate or smaller. You know, if you're speaking to a 2000 people well some social norms kick in and people aren't less likely to shout Um, it's probably easier less less likely versus never i love that choice of language (laughs) language like choice of language is important which counts yes yes (laughs) fantastic well you know you know unpaid political announcement here uh you know you're in your workshops Mm. around presenting and pitching and and dare I say it the s word selling you certainly help clients achieve that balance of improv skills and stand up so yeah it's listen all about up people listen <laughs> well, up people and and reach out to my my friend here cuz he can help you well it's all about you know as improv is it's all about knowing the game knowing the structure so that you mm-hmm. can move away from it because you know where you've got to come back to. I think that's really right. important. Well, on that point, I think it's a, a, a great point to draw this to a conclusion. And yes. just to say thanks for spending some time with us. As always, you can um, find our details in the show notes for both our businesses, Iambic Creative and Griffin and Skeggs Collaborative. Find out all about what we do, how we help. We'd love to talk to you. Give us a call. Give us an email. Um, yeah. Yes, we would love to hear from you and um, hope you have a great day. Bye.